millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this is episode 99 of this show with Dan DeBoof. Find him on Twitter at D-A-N-D-E-B-U-F. More about him in a moment. While I've got you, uh, please subscribe to the show. You can find us in iTunes or in the podcast app of your choice or on SoundCloud or wherever good pod- pod- podcasts are heard. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and you can follow along on Instagram. Twitter's especially fun around bachelor time. I promise you that. I hope your week was good. I've had an I've had an okay one. Had a had a good chat with my psychiatrist this week. Now, if you don't know what that person does, my psychiatrist is kind of like he's on like system functionality, right? He makes sure everything's up and running properly. But my therapist, my psychologist, she's on strategy. So that's kind of how the two of them work together. One's one's not uh, doesn't do all the job. So it's a it's a two pronged attack. Had a good chat with him. I let the smallest thing slip about something that I thought was of no consequence through the week. And he went, what? Say, say that again? And I said, well, you know, then I did this and this happened. He goes, really? Tell me more about that. And before I know it, we're on a completely new hypothesis about what might be going on in my brains. Well, that's interesting. So it's nothing might come of it, but I just love how inquisitive he is. I just really love that he's constantly willing to question his own best idea about what could be going on. He's not the kind of guy who's like, no, nope, that's what I've decided it is. And that's what it's going to be. He's, he's just constantly looking. And I really dig that about him. I'm really, and you know, I've talked about this before. I, you know, I changed around a few times. I changed around until I found someone that worked. It's okay. You can do that. You're the, you're not the customer here. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're the, I mean, I guess that's right. I mean, you're, you're the one buying the service. You can get what works for you. You don't, you're not beholden to just one person because they're the only one there. But I do love how he's not the old school kind of sedate and placate psychiatrist where they would just kind of, ah, oh, just, you know, pump them full of, pump them full of benzos and, and let them sleep it off. 
is more about putting things back in a balance, which is uh, cool because then it leaves me in a safe place to do the heavy lifting with my therapist. But he's a good guy. I'm glad I've got him, even if it is over Skype to a foreign land. But yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, I was in Canberra last night. Canberra, if you're not from Australia, Canberra is our nation's capital. It's conveniently located in the middle of uh, nowhere between Sydney and Melbourne. It's about 750 something meters above sea level. It's nice and cool up there. It's very beautiful, but it's a purpose-built capital. There was nothing there until I went, yep, let's build it. And, that's in, and there it was. Um, it was really fun. We went there for a gig last night with uh, the radio station FM 104.7. Everyone dressed up very nicely. It was a lovely part of the world. Everyone was really, very, very nice. And I got, you know, I was in a hotel. The hotel was lovely. And I stood out on the balcony and went, geez, honey, it's really nice. I really like it. Don't even think of it. I'm not moving here before I even finished my sentence. She was not having it. Anyway, it was good. It's good to have a road trip. It's good to see some of the wide brown land that we call home. It's really good to get out of Sydney. Uh, also had something wild happen this week. Merrick called me up and asked me to come and be on his show with him. Now, uh, Merrick is a, an Australian. He's a guest of this show. He's been on this show before. Uh, so we go back and have a listen and we describe who he is and why he's important in our country. But he's a radio legend in this, in this country. And he has a national drive time radio show between four and six. And uh, I got the call about 2.15 saying can you come and do this and i said yes i can <laughs> at four o'clock i can be there and it was uh and i was about half an hour into it i was like hang on like i'm on radio doing a national shift with one of my radio heroes and it was the best it was so cool um i still can't believe it happened yeah it's nice to get called off the bench uh to be at that stage i never never thought it'd happen and it happened so it was it was pretty amazing. Oh, the bagpipes are coming to say hello. Um, thanks to everyone that's watching The Bachelor, which is the show that I'm, I'm, I work on when I'm down in Australia. We've been getting massive numbers being in the competition. We're having a great time doing it. And Twitter's never as much fun as it is when The Bachelor's on. So, and one massive participant on Twitter during The Bachelor is my guest today, Dan DeBoof. Dan is one half of the Sydney Breakfast Radio team on Hit 104 with Dan and Maz. And he's one quarter of the comedy team Lords of Luxury. We talk a lot in this particular show about his career arc and how he went from an aspiring lawyer in Perth to the top of the mountain in radio and comedy here in Sydney. And also we talk about what it's like to not drive a car. He's never known how to drive a car. He's on the, one of the biggest breakfast radio shows in the country. His face is on the back of billboards on the back of almost every taxi around the city and he takes a bus everywhere. He's a fascinating guy. Uh, but I will warn you now, at the start of this conversation, we're eating freshly baked scones. So there's some chewing noises. If you don't like chewing noises, push forward about five minutes and you'll, and you'll, you'll be there. Um, so come to my kitchen. It smelled like freshly baked scones. It was lovely. And come enjoy a cup of tea with Dan DeBoof. Yeah, okay. So DeBoof? De, de yeah. It's French. Ginsburg. Yeah. Now people... I am French. Can't you tell from my accent? I can't. Uh, okay. Now people write in and they say, I can't stand the chewing or the slurping. Because we've all got like beverages and Well, here's yeah. a, here's an upfront warning. Yeah, this is a scone laden interview. There's fresh scones that have just been baked. The house Oh, that's very good. Put on I've got have a napkin. Yeah. Um, there's fresh scones that have just been baked. The house smells like scones. And I'm over here eating a vegan muffin. So I'll try and eat off mic and I'll try Are and scones vegan? 
No, that's why I'm you're having disappointed. a smile. No, 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 it's fine. I've, this is vegan though. Audrey made this as well. Yeah. Yeah, oysters are vegan. I heard that. I'm still, mm. I'm still trying to get across the line because I can one. feel as much pain as a carrot. Yeah. So, um, and they actually, and fa- the farming of oysters um, improves the the seabed. Mm. Actually, the more oysters you eat, the better you're doing for the environment. I'm trying to get around that. But I'm the problem to... is, is, is most people who are uh, um, vegan have like just a problem with meat in general, and the flavor of the oyster is like, oh, it's like a fish. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get around that, but I'm also trying to get around um, uh, bivalves, like a mollusk, yeah, or a or a, or a or a what are they called? Mussels. Yeah. Well, I don't know about mussels. I can only speak for oysters. Mm. So I read I read an article from a I can't remember his name. Because like because you're vegan, just all your friends just send you any article about oh, veganism. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got a mate, vegan Dave. So uh, vegan Dave. Yeah, I lived with vegan Dave for a year. Oh, that's it. We went to South Africa and it's just like he can't eat anything. Mm. I, had, I had no problem in South Africa. Uh, the thing he found that he could snack on was actually beef flavored potato chips. Oh my God. They were like vegan. That's horrendous, dude. Yeah, that's what he just ate in the back of the van. That is, oh my goodness. Any kind of prefix to a name, I think, is a, a, a problem. Yeah, well. Or a suffix like Johnny Gold Coast. Oh yeah, because yeah, well, this it's like when you save people in your phone. Like I'm in mm. a lot of people's phone is Dan Nova, mm. and that's like going back four years now. Mm. It's like eh, or a Bondi Tony, <laughs> yeah. uh, who's actually a person. I always think it's really strange when people do that in their Twitter handles because, mm. like, man, you're stuck with that. Like your Twitter yeah, handle is your like Twitter an handle. FM radio nickname. Well, they it's stick like forever. Fitzy SA. Uh, you know, Fitzy, uh, he's got SA, but he's the Sydney breakfast host. Hmm. What's like short, so wasn't, short-sighted. Wasn't he an Adelaide Crow? Um, no, I, oh, I don't want to do Fitzy's bio, but I'm pretty sure he played for the Sydney Swans, which oh. makes it like thickens the plot even more. Um, anyway, welcome to Bronte. Yeah. Which is uh, far from where you grew up, I'm assuming. Yeah, I grew up in Perth. That's pretty far. What's well, the other side of the country? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you born there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was born in Subiaco. So. Wow, what's that like? Subi. I've, been, I've been there, but what's it like to, to grow up there? I've only been there on Sunday afternoons with people. Subi session! No, Subi's like, Subi's like leafy suburbs. Mm. Subi's nice. Yeah. We were in Chanting Park, which is sort of the sort of, you know how you have like the posh suburb with the big name? Yeah. And then the secondary one, which is pretty much the same thing, but you still just don't get the name. So you say, it's got oh, the suffix, in- it's got the yeah. heights or the yeah. park or the east. We live in Subiaco. Really? But if you're writing an envelope, you have to write Shenton Park, but it's just a block out of Subiaco. Yeah. It's like people who write Moor Park East. It's Redfern. Dude. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Redfern. Well, there was, because I live in Redfern and there's this um, movement to rename that sort of Moor Park kind of area as South Darling. Because it's like they don't want to write Redfern on like, you know, when they go to sell the house, Redfern, everyone goes, ugh, gross. But, I mean, in all honesty, I think we all know by now that, mm. you know, Redfern's fine. Red, it is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But everyone, like, I mean, I remember when, um, so last year I lived in Collingwood. That's in and, Melbourne. Yeah, and my girlfriend was like, oh, Collingwood, really? But, and I was like, are you kidding? You lived in Redfern last year. Like, come mm. on, because we were in Redfern before that. Mm. Anyway. So what was what was you know, like Perth like? I don't, I don't know what it's like to grow up in. When you grow up in Perth, it just feels normal. Yeah. And um, what's the relationship 
that Perth people have to the rest of the country. I don't know. I feel like Is once it like you a get... Tasmania mainland thing? No, nah, because you're not really aware of it. Like I didn't even when I was when I was nineteen, I think I went to Melbourne for the first time. And then a few years later I went and worked in Sydney for a bit. And that was the first time I'd ever really been over east. And I was like, oh, you're from Perth. And you know, it's just normal that you have to fly five hours to get somewhere. Yeah, right. Like you don't even bat an eyelid. And now, like if I like I've it's five hours from, you know, Dubai to Istanbul. And yeah. you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like Dubai to Greece or something. Yeah. And you're like, that's five hours away and it's bizarre. Like, yeah. So when you're in Perth, it's just normal. It's just a normal place. Most isolated metropolis in the world, isn't it? Yes. Uh, or I think Honolulu fights for the title. But Honolulu and Perth go head to head and it depends on what metric you use to assess like, you know, metropolism and mm. isolation. Yeah. But yeah. So when you were uh, little little Dan with Jenny Dan, yeah. With a a, a tricky last name. Yeah. What was primary school like? Because I sure know what my last name got turned into. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is is either way you mess up debuff, you're either going debuff or debuff. Mm. And both of those you know, you get stuffed or you're a poof. So, yes. you know, they're both there when you need them. And, um, but I think the best one that I ever got was like uh, this one bully just went above and beyond. He was like, he just, like, you know how like sometimes people do something awful, but you've got to say at least you bloody yeah. saw it through. So they went first name, middle name, surname, and it was Daniela. So like feminizing, great, good to take you there. Snobbit, which is okay, but then la poof. That's just boom, boom, boom. And even changing the dirt to le, just to sort of. Still French. That's what, well, that's maybe it's like a subtle French dick. Cause that's the other thing is, um, you know, I was, a, I was like, um, I was a white kid from the leafy suburbs, you know, but the first time I ever felt like, I mean, you know, you get bullied and whatever. But I remember when France did the um, nuclear testing in mm. the, the, you know, the, the Miruawa Atoll mm. or whatever it was. And everyone was like, oh, French, gross. And I was like, Oh no! Mm. Like, why is everyone making fun of French? French is great. I'm French. Like, mm. it was like, whoa. Yeah. Mm. So your folks came out to Australia, or no? My it... dad's dad did, oh, okay. and then when dad finished high school, he went and lived in France, mm. and he was like um, chefing over there. Uh-huh. Like, and so then he came back. So dad grew up in Sydney, and then when he came back, his um, parents were now in Perth, mm. so he moved to Perth met mum, mm-hmm. they raised a family together. And so me, my brother and my parents. And then when my brother, my younger brother, finished high school, dad was like, oh, I'm off to France. And he went and bought a restaurant in France. And so they're still there. Mum and dad, are, they're now back in, wow. in France. Yeah. Do you get to go? Yeah. I mean, it costs thousands of dollars to visit <laughs> my parents. And it's so, like, and every time you go on a holiday to Europe, like, um, like you know, it's like my girlfriend and I will be like, oh, you know, let's go. Let's go to Europe and see this. And then mum will be like, oh, I see that you're in the area. <laughs> and like they live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So they're like, oh, come on over. It's like, oh. But it's all right. It's good. You got it. I mean, once you're over there. That's it though. But it's yeah. not that easy. It's not like they live in the middle of Paris yeah. and you can just like fly in, meet them and do your holiday. So you got to, oh, you know, their closest airport is Toulouse. And that's they're like an hour from that airport. 
I know I'm whinging here. No, this no, probably no, isn't coming. This is not as a first world promise. It's not what did I hear the other day? Um, happiness is a loving and yeah. supporting family in another, in another city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I've quoted that. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Which uh, I, I have. For the, for the record, I've just taken another bite of scone. Yeah, that's scone. Freshly baked scone. Anyone who's upset right now is more, they've probably got more got scone envy. Yum, yum. It is actually really good. Yeah. I, it's probably um, all the butter. Yeah. <laughs> my uh, my girlfriend and I, we've been talking a lot about food lately because I'm kind of trying to re- rewrite my relationship with food. I exercise like crazy, but I overeat a lot. Um, problem with having the, the kind of brain that I've got, there's a lot of compulsion going on in my yeah, life right. and eating. So when I used to live alone, I'd just make sure things like bread and nuts and things that I could just just eat without putting my hand down, mm-hmm. you know, weren't in the house. Yeah, that's now, I, I've, I've enforced that tactic as well. But when you live with someone and... Yeah, but yeah. now, I've, uh, you know, there's a kid here and so we've got to have snacks around. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got to have them snacks. Really, got to be really, really careful. You have just like, like you've inhaled that muffin. Like yeah, I know I was yeah. whinging about my yeah. French family for a while there, but that's gone. Mm. So how how old were you when you were this tall? Um, I've never been short. Yeah. I was prem. I was born prem, and I think that when you're born prem and you don't have a womb to sort of keep you encased, you just yeah. elongate. How, how many the, weeks? Three months. Get out. Yeah. So you would have been smaller than that microphone. Well, my favorite uh, quote is that my grandfather took his wedding ring off and put it on my wrist, so I wore it as like a bangle. And like they wrap you up in the alfoil like a burrito and they put you in the heated fish tank, like the the humidity crib. Yeah. And so what I reckon is I reckon you just elongate because you don't have a womb to to, pressing you in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, isn't that incredible that Oh I so I had no idea and I was just like, Oh yeah, Prem, like, you know, babies just pop out. Yeah, no, you should be dead. I know, right? And um and then it was only like because I also got sick when I was six as well. And it was only when I started like reading about this stuff and I was like, man, like my parents, like I was a real pest. Like they must have been through so much. And it was only like, you know, I went through my whole teens, most of my 20s just going, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. And then once I actually like, you know, I look at like, you know, the world record for prem births and it's like a week or two more than me and stuff like that. And I'm just like. So how many weeks were you born at? I got no idea. I can't do the maths. But three months. So 12 weeks too early or something. So my friend, her kid was born at 27 weeks of pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, so three months is this four weeks to a month. Is it nine, four, thirty-six? Yeah. Thirty-six minus twelve oh, is no. uh, twenty-four. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't seem right, but that's really heavy. Was, no, it was it was real early, like a soft-boiled egg. Yeah. And I always, I'm always worried that there's some time bomb in me that no one's discovered. Like, oh, no, he's, he's living. Do you have any complications from that? Not really. Because there can be all kinds of weird palsies and things like that that show up. <laughs> Not <laughs> oh really. God, like, don't tell. No. No, no, no. Like, we would have, we, you would have known by well, now. Well, that's what I always think. Yeah. yeah. You would have known by now. Yeah. But isn't that, isn't that amazing that not maybe not 10 years before your birth? The technology to keep I, you alive probably I think didn't exist. At the time, like I'm like, how the how have humans survived this long? Given the amount of ways we can die, like you know how you hear like how brutal the Wild West was, or mm. like um, the Middle Ages, or like when you hear about early surgery, like the guys who invented eye surgery. You mm. know, like these crazy. Sort of, have you seen the TV show The Nick? The Clive uh, Owen. No, 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 no about it. But... All that early surgery, right? And you go, how the hell 
did we survive this far and how goddamn sheltered are we now? Mm. You know, like it's just nuts. I had my mum here on the weekend who, uh, uh, she's a lovely, very learned, very smart woman whose brain moves far too quickly for her mouth mm. to possibly consider maybe not opening when she has a thought. It just comes right out. And um, she's a doctor. She's been it's a like doctor. a Kramer. Just boom, yeah. just comes straight out of her. And so I have, she's my, my big brother says she's the original no filter. She's the original hashtag no filter. She's Great. fantastic. I love, love her to pieces. She means no ill. Um, <clears throat> but she was telling me last night when she started being, she's old enough, she's 70. She's, she likes to say she's pushing 80. She's still doctoring. She's still being a doctor. Her dad was a doctor before her and her mother as well. And they talked about, um, you know, you've got to remember that up until, crikey, the 50s, the mm. most dangerous thing a woman could ever do was give birth. Yeah. And it was not uncommon for a man to have four kids to three different wives, both, of them, yeah, had, it, both of them who died. It's medieval. In, in childbirth. How and, do we all have grandparents? And people would How have. How do we get to here? And people, now, oh. people would have nine kids because four wouldn't make it. Yeah, and, it was, and you just carried yeah. on. You had another one yeah. next and year. And there's all the weird bits that stick out the side of the family tree when you trace back the mm. genealogy. And like, whoa, shit! But they like, just carry on. They just go, oh yeah, yeah. that just happens because it's reality. Like yeah. in a hundred years' time, they're going to look at us now and go, why didn't they all take cancer pills? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So hang on. So oh, we were talking about you being tall because it can be weird being the tall. What? Not only have you got a weird last name, you're also the tallest kid in class. Yeah, yeah. I had um. Yeah, I, I was always, you know, I was, I was the magnet for all, you know, bullying. But How did you deal with that? Because at first, I mean, it sucks that school <sighs> becomes this place that's frightening to go to. Yeah, but I loved learning and I, I did have friends and I, I had a, like a decent degree of social skills. And, you know, when everyone loved basketball and I loved wizards and stuff like that, like, you know, you, it, you, you might find some other kids you have common ground with and you can pretend to be wizards together or whatever. But like. Like Dungeons and Dragons, pretend or yeah, Magic like Warhammer the Gathering, and Warhammer. Yeah, 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 with the little little yeah, dudes. Yeah, 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 and that doesn't endear you to the guys who love NBA or mm. whatever, you know. And then the, and you go, all right, so now I'm going to fit in with the NBA guys. So you go to the shops and you say, Mum, can I get some basketball cards? Yeah, here you go. And then you go to school and go, look, uh, I, I can swap basketball cards with you. And then you realise that Mum bought you NBL, and you're like trying to trade an Andrew Gaze for a Charles Barkley, and it's like, why did I even bother? You know, like. But national, just for folks listening overseas, national, that's our local basketball league. But to rock up with that sort of thing, like, oh, yeah, I'll give you a Sydney Kings for an LA Lakers. Mum's yeah. really try, don't they? Wildcats. I've got tiny Pinder. Mum's <laughs> mum's really try. Yeah. They really give it a go, don't I know. They? And, and yeah, my mum was a teacher as well. And um, So what did they tell you about bullying? My mum's pretty pragmatic. Well, she yeah. was just like, my mum's the kind of teacher who'll be like, oh, what's wrong with a bit of bullying every now and then? It sorts out the, you know, sorts them out. And I kind of look at that and I go, you know what? Like I would always get through the bullying by just going, you know, just thinking to myself, you know, it'll, it'll get better. And, you know, there's a, there's a future ahead of me. And, you know. Wow. For me, it was like, this is how it's going to be for life. I yeah, just, I know. I couldn't, but I couldn't I see this... an out. I could never see an end to it. Maybe because, like, I've got one of those mums who'd be like, my mum would always go, when you were a child, we did this test when we put hundreds and thousands, you know, the little uh, mm. cake decoration-y like, mm. things and we put them, we scattered them on your baby chair and you picked every single one up with a pincer grip. She goes, that's how I knew you were a gifted child. You know, my mum would always be saying stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. 
Fuck. And then she'd be like, so just suck up the bullying, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of like this balance, you know. But, it, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty tough. But then I was just like, I don't know, there's, there's got to be a place in the world for someone like me. That's what I always think. Like, it's, it'll work out, you know. Well, I got through. I got through. Yeah. So. <clears throat> and and you do find your place. Like mum was also the one who was like, you know what you should do? Audition for the school musical. Huh. And I was like, I can't sing. I can't dance. She's like, I reckon you'll like it. And, you know, thus starts Dan the drama kit, you know. Or mum's the one who at the, the Blockbuster video is like, you know what I reckon you'll like? Blackadder. You know, it's, that's... that's it kind of helps you when, you when you find something. Mm. And to be honest, I think anyone who performs, like I performed in bands and I performed mm-hmm. uh, like a, on stage as well, right? Anyone who performs, it's such a strange thing to get up on stage in front of the whole school and they're pissing themselves laughing. And it, you know, it, it's kind of like, so what if there's a couple of dudes out there who beat me up or who tell me that I'm gay, which I'm pretty sure I'm not. Like it would have been, I think, a lot tougher if I was gay because then it would have been, you know, personal. But because it was just like, you're gay, it's like, well, technically wrong. Um, you know, like, yeah. and then and then once I'd started doing drama and, and had a bit more of a sense of self and stuff like that and wasn't just trying to like do my, like, oh, I'll come skateboarding with you and just too scared to go fast or, mm. you know. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll bloody do graffiti with you, and you know, like, just too scared to write anything on walls because a teacher might see. You know, like, once you actually find a sense of self, then it's like, okay, I can see, I can see why I'm here now. Yeah, yeah. What was that first musical? It was big. You know the Tom Hanks movie yeah, where it was they a musical version. Yeah, of that. yeah. What role were you? So my drama teacher was great. Um, he used to write in roles for everyone. So I had one of those pencil in the margin kind of roles. Executive number seven. That'll make a great toy, Mr. McMillan. <laughs> like that sort of thing. <laughs> Get these folders to my desk. That sort of thing. Like in each oh. one, you'd have like chorus of lines. So it'd be like, Get this to corporate. Take this one upstairs. I've got a folder. Where's my pen? You know? And like, so like one kid might be the where's my pen guy. So in every scene, he'd be like, Where's my clipboard? Yeah. And that they're under five lines, so you don't have to get. And then paid. you all form yeah. up in a line, you're like toys. We make toys. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Were there girls involved? That was the other great thing as well, is because like I always remember like when the um, all the sports bros, all the rugby dudes, would be like, "Oh yeah, you know, have bloody fun at your drama practice." And I'd be like, "Mate, I'm seriously, I'm gonna go hang out at like a ten to one female to male ratio." You know, you're going to go stand in a room with a bunch of na- naked dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not only am I going to hang out yeah. you know, 10 to 1, I'm going to hang out in the dark in the yeah. wings of a theatre. And that's when it's like oh, the after party. It's yeah. the legendary, the cast party. Oh, yeah. 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 How many? Oh, it was, all, yeah. it was all about. I got my first girlfriend at a, at, a, at a musical. That's why I did the drama society at uni. Just yeah. like my mate, um, actually, Vegan Dave, he actually said to me, he's like, I was talking about how like... Um, I, you know, I had a few girlfriends, uh, a couple of girlfriends through this drama society and he just goes to me, mate, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. (laughs) 
as if to say, like, everyone else there is a wreck, dude. Like, you are doing so well because everyone else there is a wreck. Whoa. So at what point At what point did you go to the kind of school where it was like, you've got to go to uni or you'll fail or was it? Yeah. 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 Okay. But I, I mean, I've always got good grades. I always, I was, you know, and, um, and also in Perth as well. It's very much a small world where um, you see, you know, people on TV or you see, you know, you, you, these comedians and stuff and you go, I love that. How sad it is that that doesn't actually exist. It's not a real thing. Um, like I didn't, I had no idea that, for example, and then looking back on it now, I think it was just because of my, you know, my parents didn't really expose me to that world, you know. Like by then dad was working as a, a sales rep for Kraft Foods and, uh, or a sales manager or whatever, and um, mum was a teacher. So I wasn't really, you know, I never really, I remember once I went to a, a 92.9 freeview screening of Men in Black. I was like, whoa, I got a free movie ticket, right? Um, so I never really knew that world existed. So I was like, well, I got good grades, I'll be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. And so I went to law school because that's just like, you know, it's a good thing to be. It's a good thing to have. And... I might be a media lawyer. That'd be cool, you know? Uh-huh. And um, it wasn't until, so I moved to Melbourne and that was when I went, whoa. There's like a whole world out there. Yeah? Yeah. But hang on, so in, let's just, did you finish the law degree? Yeah. But by the time the law degree was done, radio had already started? Yeah. All right. So yeah. how did uh, mild-mannered, uh, oh, I don't think I was ever mild man. Well, how did how did well, sheltered? Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing, you know. Some I just I I went to uni for six weeks before I dropped out. My, no, I had to finish. My big brother, it was too hard. My big brother uh, did two degrees, um, back to back. He was one of those guys. He just mm. just couldn't get enough of it. Mm. Like masters, list that yellow. Oh, okay. Um, but some people go to university from. You know, particularly from my my kind of school, which was an all boys, you know, private private school. Straw hats. Uh, we didn't have straw hats. BBC had straw hats. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had a Kubris, thanks very much. Oh wow, that's right. Um, my uh, some people go, and then within three months of you know being the sporty jock bloke yeah. that you just mentioned. Um, they're a member of the Socialist Alliance. They've stopped cutting their hair. Mm. They've taken every drug known to man. They've bought a Bob Marley poster. Mm. Um, arts, arts, and, and, you know, they're reading, that effect on people. They're reading Ralph Waldo Emerson's, you know, Walden going, I'm going to go and live in the yeah. forest. I'm going to, I'm going to write. Thoreau, or, Thoreau, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that's right. Or they, or they, or they join the young liberals, you know, mm. what, you know, so the first three months of university was like, Leah, I could do everything. Yeah. <clears throat> Was that it for you? Did you? I'm not saying you joined the Socialist Alliance, but um, comrade. So what did I? The, so first year of law, uh, first year of law school was all about the law society. Mm. It was like finally I've found people who are sort of bookish like me, mm-hmm. but fun. Mm-hmm. So because at my school, like you know, we had lots of different sort of cliques, and I sort of floated around all of them, and you know, so I would hang out with the rugby guys because you know I, I wanted a sport to sort of keep me busy i want to stay as busy as possible in year 12 so i'd hang out with the rugby guys or i'd hang out with like the stoner guys or the band guys or the drama people or whatever right um but then and it, i was sort of acquaintances with all these different people you know um like i could always if there was a party on i'd go to it but i'd never have someone to go to the cinema with you know that sort of mm, vibe yeah um and then once i got to uni it was like 
boom, I instantly found this bunch of sort of, you know, like I said, bookish like me, but socially outgoing people. And it was, wow, like it blew my mind. And I had this great sort of year. Looking back on it now, I was like, man, I really thought I was going to be a lawyer, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. um, and then just towards the end of that year, I started with the drama society mm-hmm. and that became my uni experience. Right. It basically was a drama society with a law degree attached. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And when you're in those kind of intensive, I guess the, the stakes are pretty low as far as, you know, it's not an economically viable like you couldn't run a theatre company as a like a drama society model. I'm guessing like mm, it's got. We did all right. So what we did. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can afford to be somewhat experimental, and you can afford to have the odd crap show. Yeah. Well, it, I always found that the university society takes the shape of whoever sort of rules it at the time. So when we arrived there, it was very Brechtian. It was very you know experimental. It was running at a massive loss and. Lots of black skivvies and that sort of vibe, right? Yeah. And so me and my mates got in there and it just became like borderline like a naked gun tribute society. Like because like the stuff that we grew up on, like, you know, like the Simpsons or the Naked Gun or like the computer game Monkey Island or all these sorts of offbeat humor kind of things, we started writing stuff like that. And then that led to me doing improv and that was then sort of three years into the degree. Right, right. It's kind of like... Uh, I can see that I'm enjoying one thing a hell of a hell of a lot more than the other. Because to, I mean, improv. Um, Del Close would say you got to play to the top of your intelligence, mm. and and all of the best improvisers that mind-bogglingly smart mm. and have read everything and seen yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, and so obviously that all those years of Warhammer and and you know the Frank, yeah. Frank Herbert books and all that yeah, stuff. Library really, like library yeah. at lunchtime. And, yeah. yeah, all that served you, so you could draw on that massive wealth of information. Yeah. And and to again, but you, it was like the first year of law school to to find people and to go, wow, we communicate at this same yeah. level. But you went, so it was the the big hoo ha, which was yes, the Australian UCB or the closest thing I guess we've got. Yeah, it well, so Sam Longley who ran it in Perth. Um, fun trivia: Luke Longley's brother, right? So this big, tall, gangly comedian guy. Like, did you was... have him on your uh, NBL cards? <laughs> I probably did. No, he was NBA. He was Chicago Bulls. <sighs> so he was. So Sam was at Second City, I reckon. Uh-huh. He did improv, like deep into improv in the US, and he came back. Uh, so Adam, her. Adam McKay. Um, Bill yeah, Murray, yeah, yeah, all, that, all the first cast of yeah, SNL came in a second. Yeah, and so yeah. he um, he came back to Perth and started yeah. this improv group. And a few years after that was when I sort of I was kind of one of my mates was part of that scene, and he saw my uni stuff and was like, "Get this guy in." And so I and I neatly bypassed the audition stage. Sweet, and because it's a pretty stressful audition, like um, quit, you know. You're changing characters like that and all this sort of stuff. So I kind of just rocked up at rehearsals and slowly ingratiated myself in. Um, but it does have that real, um, you know, UCB kind of vibe. Mm. Of It's really good because it's obviously a lot of fun, but everyone takes it quite seriously because you're there to learn. Mm. And I like, I mean, improv's, you know, because of people like um, Steve Carell and Tina Fey and whatever, improv's just 
boomed. Mm. Like it's huge now. Well, like, Amy Poehler started UCB. She's yeah, her, it's that's her thing. Yeah, it's um, like you go to Melbourne now, and every second person you meet is doing an improv. Mm. Some variation. Man, I've been doing UCB in the states for for years. I started in theaters. people do it as self help. Yeah, I started, like you read yeah. lists of like things to do to get out of a funk, and it says like take an improv class. Yeah, you know. Well, it does force you to do a lot of things that, and certainly break out of patterns that you otherwise might have. Ours is very sort of closed ranks. Well, of course, you know what I mean. So you didn't have people just floating in, and you know, like uh, you know. Just yeah. shooting everyone in the scene or, oh, well, oh, here Ricky, we are. Ricky. Here we are in the Wild West. No, we're in space. Okay, all right. Oh, I hate <laughs> that. So, yeah, it was pretty intense. And just, I just took the shooting everyone in the Ricky Gervais uh, mm, Exactly. Moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, it was so good. Mm. Uh, but when you're in those, I remember when I, because I was just fascinated by the improv that I'd seen on TV. And there was a TV show at the time, a theatre sports TV show that I just Who's line? No, 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 pre that. It was an actual theatre sports TV show. Yeah, okay, all um, right. And it was um, Andrew Denton and uh, a few other people whose name, I think Rachel Berger, I think. Mm-hmm. It was his yeah, 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 yeah. And I just couldn't, and I'd seen, we had a theatre sports at La Boite Theatre in Brisbane, which is now a housing development across the road from Lang Park. Awesome. And um, I would go to theatre sports and just be going, Oh my god! Well, yeah. Look oh, at this. I would watch Who's Line, yeah. and I'd go, "You've got to be kidding me!" And like the British one with Stephen Fry, and I'd just be like, mm. "Oh, like I'd be beside myself." And it's only when you start doing it regularly, yeah. it's like Neo seeing The Matrix. You kind of go, "Hang on, man! I'm actually playing around in this." You yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Styles studied with Del Close. Yeah. 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 He's he's a god. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. A- Absolutely. Yeah, we got to interview Colin Mockery maybe last year. Get year out. Yeah, it's great. He's one of the he's one of the greatest. Yeah, and you like, you know, it's so fun. Like that's the best part about my job, though, is getting to meet these people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I found what I found uh, theatre sports had given me was when I by the time I got to radio, all these jocks that had come up from like Aubrey or from Mackay or Inverness or wherever the hell these guys came yeah. from couldn't work in a two-header because it was like, oh, but it's not written on my piece of paper. But that's that's why Maz and I work well because I'm from improv and she's from live TV. Yeah. So the two of us are used to that. And, um, yeah, you're right. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, how does this work? How does that work? I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, what do you do when you don't have anything to say? And it's like, I don't know, you keep talking because – that's you, you know. That's why you're there, and then you know you ask each other stuff yeah. and you tease things out. Or, yeah, you know, my boss would probably say, "Well, you got a bloody song because <laughs> <laughs> you've been talking for too long and you run out of things to yeah, say." Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that. So how? So from the 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 big hoo ha, that's where the the radio people first noticed you. Had no, it, no. Had so I was about? so I, I was still in Perth. Yeah. And then what happened was, me and my two mates, we all just went. We're moving to Melbourne. Uh-huh. It was just that. Early 20s, we're 21. We'd had our adventures and our girlfriends and our travels and all this sort of stuff. And it was everything was just feeling really perthy. And we were, you know, like I said, I was doing improv, I was DJing, I had luscious long hair. DJing, nightclub DJing music. Yeah, yeah. Like I was loving it, right? And, but we all just, so all of us are doing great stuff. And then we're just like, let's, we're going to move to Melbourne. So the three of us moved to Melbourne. And then a couple of, like a month later, not even, a few weeks later, it was Melbourne Comedy Festival. And I went to this show. It was this 24-hour long show. 
and I stayed for the whole 24 hours because I couldn't believe what I was watching. And I went home after that and I said to the two guys, we're not lawyers anymore. That's what we're doing for the rest of our lives. That right there. Like it was so obvious. It was just like, like I, I was literally standing on my mate Matt's bed. I was standing on his bed going, <laughs> like I, it was like I'd spent the last 10 years wanting this but not knowing that it was there and then finding out it was there, you know, and going, oh, my God. Yeah. And so that was when and then so we started, you know, we, this, is, this is how, like, um, seriously I sort of take these sort of things is I was like, so now comedy is uni. So every, um, so we write a sketch, that's an assignment. If we do a performance, that's like a tutorial. If, we, you know, this like a, a Nova radio demo, that's a end of year exam and you study for it and, you, you know, like, and uh, so, so the Hamish Nanny podcast is a textbook and like that's how I started to approach it. And then we just really targeted demos just because my mate Matt was working on the street team. Ah. So he could panel. Ah. So how did, so, okay, I got it. So that's, that's how I started too. I started driving those. But I've never had a driver's license. Ever? So I could never be, no, never. How did you get here? I got the bus. <laughs> Sorry, I just spat my scone into your team cup. <laughs> Well, it's all that basketball, man. You you got one. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, Ricky Gay's over here. Jeez. Um, Full on, man. You never had a driver's So I could never be on the street team. So for me, it was announcer or not. And I couldn't panel because I don't deal well with multitasking. Panels pushing the buttons, making the songs go. Yeah. yeah. But I couldn't do that because I can't talk and press buttons at the same time. So then it's like, well, it's get a get a brekkie show or nothing. So, so yeah, that's the – well, that's the um, – that that's the end. I I started driving the trucks around the ones that are covered in the station logo, giving away icy cold cans of coke, chop chills. Yeah, yeah. To to people who, let's just say, have perhaps a different relationship to personal hygiene than. than uh, you I. you you got a sticker? You go giving away fucking stickers? <laughs> we don't do stickers anymore. Yeah, exactly. We fucking me. Yeah. PMFM Rock Scarborough Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 So so you moved um you moved over to Melbourne. Yep. And what what fascinates me is how people move in circles. So these three of you guys, did you were you already a nucleus of of, of... Yeah, we all went to the same high school. Ah, wow. So me and Matt, the first thing we ever did together was a um a English play, like in in English class, which we wrote about peer pressure, where I played the school bully and he played a kid called Bongwater. <laughs> oh, and um, and so we like we kind of we both did the school productions together, and then when we both sort of enrolled in law school, we kind of were inseparable. And then uh -huh. Luke, who was our age but the year above us, kind of was mates with Matt. And then we were all in this drama society together. Uh -huh. So that was, and then we just started writing stuff together. Um, and and now we're we're still working together as the Lords of Luxury. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm really fascinated by this. You know, the idea that small little uh, 
nucleuses of people mm. move through the world around in a similar trajectory and sometimes they they split off a little bit they mm. pick up maybe one or two others or mm. they able to then like have these you know it's particular particularly in create creative disciplines mm. um whether it be music or theater and or, i yeah, i always notice that as well like i i'd sort of notice that too in like comedy circles when you see things like you know working dog or whatever and you see like um you know the kind of people like oh, the guys from Blackadder, they pop up in this and that and you can sort of map it all mm. or the bloody romantic poets or the Frankfurt school or whatever. Right. And you go, that's important. That's an important thing is to find these people. And, you know, there are times where we used to sit around going, Oh my God, we're going to be working dog. And now I'm like 30 and I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> all we've got is our sketch show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, that's the other thing you quickly realize is there is literally nothing that could ever be described as a formula for success. Nothing ever. It's not like, oh, so you do this, then this, then this, then this. And it's when you start out, it looks pretty easy. You're like, okay, so you do your stand up gigs and then that gets you a radio show and then that gets you a TV show and then you start a production company. Great, cool, let's go do it. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos. You just, it's a whirlwind of just opportunities and failures and then you, you're 60. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you yeah. hope that along the way you created all these great memories and moments for this audience who now, you know, when you are, you know, growing up and looking back, you can go, they can go, you know, you're one of the people who created a great entertainment. Mm. So it's weird. You say there's no formula, but I do think it's important to have those as you had those people who are that close to you that you can create stuff with just all the time. Well, I'm rubbish on my own. And bounce around. Really? Well, I always improv, sketch, breakfast radio, not a solo announcer. I, I, I thrive on the interaction. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do stand up. I, I struggle to write like, but when I'm, you know, with people who I work with like Maz or the Lords of Luxury guys or whatever, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, I, I, it just it, it comes out. Mm. But then when I go home... I could just sit and read a book, you know, like it, I, I don't have that. Uh, and I've always envied it in other people. Yeah. When I see other people who just are constantly coming up with ideas, I like, you know, like Woody Allen has his shoebox full of 70 ideas for screenplays. 
And every year he just plucks a new one out and he just goes, he's got a whole, because you think it, like his movies are pretty simple. He's like, the, he's like those, you know, those stand-ups whose personas are so great that they could talk about anything and it would be hilarious. He's like that with movies. You know, his persona, is, the, the stuff he creates is so unique that he can just go boy meets girl. Here's the little complicator though. It's in 1920s Paris and he's a time traveler, you know, and he's got a shoebox full of ideas and he's just, he writes them down, tucks it in the shoebox and then just picks one out every year and makes it. Mm. Oh man, I'm like, God, like I, I, I start a new shoebox every morning. <laughs> you do. You know, like every morning I start a new shoebox and like my idea of hell is being a comedian who has their hour and tours it around for a year. Like it's tough enough doing a few weeks at festival with a sketch show and at least then we improvise most of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that I think Stephen Wright did the same 45 minutes for 15 years. Well, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld famously, you know, destroyed all his material. So Yeah, I think it's – well, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. So hang on. I just <laughs> – Okay, all right. Well, yeah. I'm, what I'm interested in is the origin stories. I'm interested in – you say there's no formula for success, but I'm going to disagree with you. Well, you know, there's not formulas, but there's, you know, cheat codes. Yeah, the cheat code <laughs> would be be as absolutely ready as you possibly can be and continuous pressure in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. You will, if you are persistent enough, you will break through. Yeah, I mean, that's grit. That's um, You've got to, though. You've got yeah. to. It's like Jay Leno's thing. It's like, I'll, I will outwork you. The one yeah. thing I know I can yeah. do is I can outwork mm. every one of you. I may not be funnier than you, but mm. I can outwork you. Mm -hmm. And so you were, um, you're in this new mindset in Melbourne. You're now at the, you know, you're in the, if this were an 80s film, this is the training montage. Yeah. 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 So, you know, like place. me and Matt would, would get up on stage at comedy nights. And so in between the comedians, me and him would get up and, and do sketches or uh -huh. whatever. Um, and you know, I'd work in the law firm during the day. Oh, and then, so you were doing articles and stuff like that? Nah, not articles, just piss fighting around, shit kicking, paper shuffling. Yeah. Um, just to pay rent really. Yeah. Um, I was well, never, yeah. you know, you're not pouring coffees, you're not. Yeah, dishes. I know. Right. And it's nine to five and you can just sit at a desk and, and the, the, it was, it was all, um, women in the office, but they were all pretty amenable to the fact that really I was going to be on the radio. Mm. And I do my show on Thursday night, so like midnight till two a.m. Well, so so hang on, so you and Matt, who'd got a job working as a street team, yeah, he saw an opportunity and went, "We should make a demo for these guys." Yeah. So after we we saw the comedy festival, we sort of brainstormed, you know, what are all the things we can do from this uh, new and exciting thing called MySpace and, mm. and YouTube through to podcasting to um, radio. This is far off Holy Grail called TV, whatever, right? And so as Matt was already working, you know, as a street teamer, was like, well, we'll start giving out demos. So we went to Sin, which is where Hamish and Andy started out, mm. which is sort of like student radio mm. in Melbourne. And we did a course there, but we at the same time recorded a demo for Nova and it was me, Matt and Luke and the boss at Nova, he's in Perth now at 92.9, Todd Campbell. He goes, takes me and Matt into his office and he goes, look, you guys are great, but he doesn't need a third person. Oh man. So we went home and we're like, oh my God, sitting on the beanbags in the living room in the share house. 
Luke comes home. He's had a pretty good day. He walks in through the front door. We're sitting there like, you know, hands in front of us like Monty Burns, just Luke, we need to talk. <laughs> Fingertips touching. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, um, but he, you know, uh, you know, was How'd still, you break? It's talking. That's just, a tough conversation to have. You know what Todd said? He goes, Matt can record a demo with Dan and he can record on with Luke and I'll break the hard news. And we just went, oh, screw that. We're just going to tell him. And, you know, we, we still work together and, and um, you know, Luke's, um, his story is insane. Like, like, like crazy long story short, he got cancer after that. <laughs> like, Jesus. And then like he started doing stand-up comedy about cancer and then he wrote a book about it and now he tours that around Australia and, and we still do Lords of Luxury and all that sort of stuff. So right. he had his own like crazy creative yeah. journey, okay? But um, it was just like, yeah, it's it's a two-person thing. We've got a shot here. Yeah. They only want to take the two of us. Yeah. We can't say no. Yeah. Fair enough. I know, right? Yeah. That happens in bands too, though. Like people, like maybe even the drummer is the one that started the band and people go, yeah, yeah. you can't have yeah. the drummer. Mm. You're going to have to have a better looking drummer. People go, hang on, no, where's that mate? That's fine, but you'll never get on television. <laughs> you'll <laughs> never, never, ever, you mm. need a better looking drummer. That happens all the, all the time mm. in, in music. Ab- absolutely. That bands, they'll, they'll pull the singer and the guitar player away from a band that they've taken five years to write all these songs and stuff oh, and they'll put them with a new rhythm section. Happens rhythm section cast out of IMG models, right? And so then you've got this band that's just great looking. They've got the tat in a can, you know, and then away you go. Wow. Yeah, that ha- that happened. I won't mention bands, but some of the biggest bands that you oh, know. Oh, we're being sold a lie. Yeah. Now I'm picturing beautiful rhythm sections trying to figure out who's mm-hmm. at the front of them. Yep. Good looking bass players and drummers. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're in. You've got your foot in. Yep. And so what we did was we, um, like, I was before I was talking about how methodical, like, I am yeah. with this sort of stuff. So me and Matt, we, we, um, the main thing we had to do was get back to Perth because we finished, we had to do our final two years of law in Perth. Oh. We could only do electives mm. in Melbourne. So it was like, we've got to get back to Perth. That just has to happen. So um, we flew back to Perth in October. This is 2007. We flew back to Perth and um, we met with the boss of Nova there and we gave him a CD of our best breaks. We gave him a one-page outline of the show that we wanted to do. We told him um, it could be from this time, 7 till 10 p.m., um, where they had a bit of a programming hole. They just had a solo jock, whereas every other show in the network had a duo. Mm. Like, eh, you got a programming hole there. We will do it cheap. We will work for nothing. Mm. And um, we um, we had like heaps of MySpace fans, and cool. no one was using social media at all in the entire industry. And we were like, "This is what's going to be big: is social media." And we had like this YouTube video of us auditioning for Gladiators. Remember when Gladiators mm. came back? So me in like a green leotard like getting thrown around by all these bodybuilder guys, like, you know, Hamish and Andy inspired stuff basically going, here's the package. And, and I, and then after, and so we just put it out there. And then after that, it was like, what the hell is going to happen now? Oh, yeah, the, am I moving back to Perth? Am I going to stay at this law firm job? Cause they want to sign me up for another year. Is this, you know, is this radio going to happen? 
And then right when I was, you know, oh my, like having a nervous breakdown about my future, I get the call and it's like, yep, it's going to happen. Awesome. And then we did, we did that show for two years in Perth. Cool. Yeah. And how much, okay, people may not realize how much hustle has to go in. Once you get the gig, then you've got the gig, but then you're like, well, it's Perth. I could, yeah. I could. I know. How, how, do, how do I work further east? How do I break back? Yeah. yeah. I know. And, and so you're keeping those relationships up with people who were the announcer there, but now the assistant program director mm. of the station. Hey, buddy, just letting you know that everything's going really well. Well, the best thing we had was the boss, not the boss, the assistant programming director in Perth was mates with the assistant programming director in Sydney. Uh-huh. And I still remember when they came to me and they were like, look, we're going to do a national show over summer. And I thought that was them telling me that, I mean, well, you know, Jabber, mm. who used to work with, I thought they were saying, because he was doing the Sydney version of my job. Mm. And I thought they were going to say that we don't have work for six weeks because Jabber's going to fill in because he's the Sydney guy. I had no idea that that meant Jabber's going to go on his holidays that he's earned and we're going to be the fill-in guys. So I'm sitting there going, oh, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay rent? And they're like, so, I mean, you know, we'll fly you up and blah, blah. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to be doing a national radio show in Sydney. Like it was, that was a dream country. Like I was sleeping on my boss's couch doing this radio show in Sydney. Could you imagine that? Like a, like this is Nova. Yeah. Flying talent in and putting him on the boss's couch. But we were kids. We were like, this is a this yeah. is the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. First time I'd ever been to Sydney. I'd never seen Sydney before. Like it was huge. And that was like, and then that then led to getting a job in Sydney. And then that led to weirdly getting a job in Adelaide, which then led to getting a job in Sydney again. Hold that thought because I really have to pee. <laughs> All right. I'll fill time on the podcast. Yeah. You wait. Hi. Yeah. Welcome back. You'll edit it out. I've got a salad in my bag. I'm going to finish that. Um, oh, that's way better. I went for a ride on my bicycle earlier and I hydrate, obviously, when I ride. But eventually my kidneys go, thanks, we've had enough of this. And um, mm. you do you do actually need to pee. You've got some sort of fabulous bean salad going on. Yeah, yeah. Which is This is late night for you, by the way, so I'm very grateful you could do this. It's, it's not late night, yeah. It's around about, around, around about 6 p.m. It's late night. Late yeah. night. Okay, so it's dinner hour. This is dinner time for you. Yeah. Well, actually, this is late lunch for me because I haven't eaten today. Oh, buddy, you've got to take care of that. So you you moved around a lot. Radio can be quite nomadic, and that can be very punishing, certainly when you're getting used to new cities all the time. Yeah. And it can certainly be very punishing on relationships. What did, yeah. did you have girlfriends at the time? I, I So when I moved back to Perth, I was single, single in Perth. And then I moved to Sydney and I met um, in 2010, I met Denise, who I'm still dating now. And then I moved to Adelaide for two years. So I moved to Sydney and I lived in Adelaide while Denise was in Sydney, right? And I moved back to Sydney. So that's kind of four years of being a Sydney cider. But I lived in Adelaide for two of them. Mm. Get what I mean? Yeah. Like I was flying back all the time and, and I, I wanted to move back to Sydney. And um, But how do, you, how do you do that? Because I've done that. I've done that long distance thing. It's, it's tough. Ah, uh, yeah. So how did you how did you do the long distance thing? Well, what was the what's the key? What's your key to long distance relationship survival? I think um, talking about future, being really certain that there's a future, is important. Like, 
you know, we would talk about um, in two years' time. Because the, the job I took, I, I took it for two years. And one of the reasons why, that was with Nova and that was my last job with Nova. And one of the reasons why I left Nova to move to Today FM was um, I'd, I'd done two years and that was all I could take in Adelaide. No offence to Adelaide, obviously. Like I had a great time there, but my life was in Sydney and so I set that two-year goal in my mind and, um, and that really helps. It also helps that Denise and I are both very um, not like stubborn or competitive, but we're very like once we set something, we're mm. like we are going to, this is going to happen, you yeah. know. So when we said a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, long distance, good luck, give it three months, and you'd be like, it, it, again, it didn't enter my brain to go, well, this might not work out. I was like, no. Like I wouldn't have signed up for in the first place if I didn't know it was going to work. Yeah. 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 Um, I was the same. You've got to have it yeah. unflinchingly that this is all that's But having be. an endpoint is so important. Yeah. And being on the same page with it as well because if after two years I'd turn around to Denise and said, actually, maybe you should move to Adelaide because I've got a pretty sweet job here, then, uh, you know, I couldn't do that. So yeah, so when you, so you've come from this uh, background where you're writing your own stuff, you're determining the cadence, you're determining mm. the how long everything is, you're determining the size and shape of all the characters, and then you come into this world of radio, which is uh, mm. this wonderful, really beautiful mix of of art and incredibly precise research based science. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. very very, and it's fifty fifty. It's really interesting. Yeah. What were some of the, obviously, I mean, I don't only can relate from my experience, initially fitting into that round hole was a little tricky. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, I've always been so, like, grateful to just be in the room. You know, growing up in Perth, I've never had a sense of entitlement that, you know, I've never taken my job for granted. I've never... Well, I won't say never, but it's been very rare the occasion where I haven't, you know, tried to make every day like the product better than the day before. You know, this is this is my every day feels like my one shot. So every morning I get up and it's my one shot at success, and then I do it. Like I do the show and I go great, smashed it. Then the next day I wake up and I go, okay, everything's on the line again. You know. There's no sense of like, oh, whatever. No one really listens that closely anyway. Which is like that drives me insane when people say that in radio. When they say stuff like, no one really listens that closely. I, I just want to just throttle whoever says that and go. Then why are you doing it? I I believe that every listener is leaning in, turning up the volume, hanging on every word I say. It doesn't mean I take it for granted. It's a privilege, but you know, like. I don't even know the point I'm making now. Well, that's a lot. Uh, of, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Yeah, but it is a lot of pressure. It's you know, it's people just I God, when I get in cars because I don't drive. So when I'm in a car and I someone's driving along, and then they're just bashing on the on the radio console in the middle of the car, just flicking stations like crazy. It, I'm going, oh my God, you maniac! What are you doing? It's like going out for dinner. And there being, you know, three restaurants in a row and you're just walking from restaurant to restaurant just eating random things off the menu. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I was always, radio came to me through podcasts where you would click download on Hamish and Andy and then you would sit and you would listen to it, you know? And the way that people consume radio is just terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is weird when you're making, and I, used, I found this when I was at Channel V, when you're making a product, television, for, and you're surrounded in an office by people who are incredibly passionate about music. Oh. And yet you're making, and in radio as well, you're making radio in a in an environment where everyone knows the bass player from whatever band played that yeah. one hit song one time. You're making it for people who have never bought an album. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I mean, but it's the same, because I think I'm a consumer in that way and I always believe there are people like me because I was the kid who in Perth would put the VHS in and record Channel V onto VHS, you know, like, and I, I had these well-worn VHSs of like, Chili Peppers and Chemical Brothers at 99 Big Day Out or whatever or 2000 Big Day Out mm -hmm. and like, you know, like um, James and Yumi doing the reporter search or all this sort of stuff. Like those are like, people talk about like, you know, their breakfast shows. Like, dude, you and Paul are doing by demand. Oh you know God. what I mean? Like that was, but that's yeah. like how like, you know, my friends would talk about like listening to Hamish and Andy or anything. Like, mm. you know, that was my sort of, breakfast show when I was a kid you know what right. I mean so and again but I, I would watch it not like oh yeah something's on oh yeah not you know I'd be like great cool the, the the show's on you know whatever and this is when I was playing in bands and stuff like that you know mm. high school bands and you know new metal bands and whatever and um so yeah yeah it was relevant to me and, and I've always had that I think a lot of people who are into you know fantasy realms and all that sort of stuff are very obsessive like that they're details kind of people and they want to know more. And, and then when you found the internet, it was like, oh, my God, I can yeah. read about this stuff. Yeah, my, my word. Uh, so when you finally, I guess, and I know what you're saying about the people who just phone it. Not, I'm not saying they phone it in, but they do sometimes take it. They give themselves a little slack. There is that whole, you're only as good as your last break. There is that whole mentality. Yeah, I know. That really is there. Everything you do is your business card. Like every, yeah. you know, the last thing you did is. That's great. It's like if you're halfway through a stand-up set and you make an amazing joke, then the next one better be pretty good. Yeah. You can have light and shade. You can have peaks and valleys. You can pull it back to draw them back in or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like you. I always feel like one of the secrets to success is just this constant sense of not wanting to be left behind, you know? That's, and it, you talk about having like creative people who you work with. That fosters a bit of healthy competition as well mm -hmm. where it's like oh, you see your best mate working their ass off on a project and you go, damn it, I want to like I want to be I want to be that good as well. So that's, yeah. com that's competitiveness as well. Yeah. So when... We've, I've had you here and you're, you're going to have to go to bed soon because it's getting late in the day. Oh, I've been drinking a coffee the whole time. Though. All right. So I'm going to, we'll go two different tangents and I'll let you out of here. Yeah. Well, I've got to finish my bean salad as well. Okay. So you don't drive, have never driven. You've no. ne never had a driver's license. No. I love how that's the thing you've picked up on. Well, what, it blows people's mind, doesn't it? Well, what's your. Right, you can't speak French. What's your <laughs> je ne parle pas français? Close, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't spoke French. I yeah. don't. Sp I don't spoke French. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
works. It explains everything, though. If yeah, I say yeah, it yeah. badly. Oh, it's obvious. Yeah. It's quite obvious. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, what do you get that adds to your... I'm, I'm saying, like, because people live in their bubbles, but every day you're taking a live sample of society mm-hmm. on your bus, on your train. What do you get out of... What have you learned of a life of sitting on public transport about the general population? Um... Well, I mean, there's a oh, lot of is, them. I, know, I guess, you know, when I was a young kid and I first started taking public transport, I was little. I would take the bus to school uh, when I was five and I would look around and go, I'd be so frightened of people because mm. they're weird and they smell funny and they mm. wear different clothes. And, mm. and, you know, as I got older, I always found it just so fascinating looking at yeah. at people. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of pedestrianing and, you know, flaneuring, like... Um, I, I've never wanted to drive. I've never thought to myself, you know what I wish I could do right now? Get in a car and get somewhere quicker. Like today it was just like I'm going to need an hour to get to Bronte. And it's not really that much time. and People spend that time in traffic anyway. So and it's cool because you sort of, it's really great to get to know a city and to, you know, just see the different, like, oh, wow, the street signs are different colours here. And it's why you travel as well. But it's like, like I went, um, admittedly, it was in a car, so it doesn't really prove your point. But on the weekend, I went to Cabramatta, you know, in little Vietnam and went to three different restaurants and all this sort of stuff. Because, you know, it's... it's Like your mate with a radio, just eating at three different restaurants. Yeah. Well, you know, spring rolls at one and a bowl <laughs> of soup at the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't degustations. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I just... It's nice. I mean, even in Melbourne as well, like I love the trams because it's like a little bit of moving city that you get to stand on for a bit. Like it feels like um, you. it's like the city is a platform that moves along and then you hop off and, you know, it's cool. I don't know. That's freedom. Uh, people are like, don't you just wish you could drive somewhere? And I'm like, I don't know, don't you wish you could fly? But what would you say to people who are like afraid of public transport? I don't know. I mean, I haven't been bashed up on public transport, so... I guess, I mean, I don't know. I'm probably afraid of driving. Like I had a lesson when I was 16 and I blew the tire out on the curb and then just never tried again because the need never came up. And now I'm 30 and I'm just like, maybe just don't bother. (laughs) It's a constant source of pain for my girlfriend. It's like, can you just learn? Can you just have just have the ability? But you have this bond with people as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, you don't drive as well. Yeah. I know, I know. I hear that. People that will, always say that will the stupidest to you. stuff. People are like, oh, so what if you're in the desert and you've been bitten by a snake and you've got to get to hospital? And I'd be like, well, my first thing I would do is go, why am I in the desert? <laughs> why did I come to the snake-infested desert? <laughs> like, this is not my typical holiday. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what are the biggest misconceptions people have about public transport? Well, I don't know because I don't have those misconceptions. But people, they complain to you. They go, oh, my God, it must be stinky or it must be graffiti covered. Or it yeah, must be and every now and then it is, but so is life. <laughs> Life's a bit stinky once in a while. Like, it's not that tough. And, and uh, I mean, the problem, you know what, in all honesty, the toughest thing about not driving is having to carry a bag everywhere. That's the, like having to carry like on a when you have to carry a jacket under one arm and you're shopping in another, and that's the probably the toughest part. 
But if you're really having a sad about, oh, on the 10-minute bus ride home, everyone's taking a seat so I have to hold on to the roof, the little dangle thing, you know, like, it's like hard enough. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I Does it give you a sense of ownership over a city when you've oh, mastered yeah. the train timetable? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's like when you, you know, you, your first day in Paris, you got no idea. And then suddenly, you know, all the little islands of the metro all start to link up and you're like, oh my God. I, That's yeah. a weird thing. When I'm in a foreign country that isn't LA, I will bus and train and everywhere. Oh, I hated LA. And love it. LA has one train line. Yeah, I hated it. All it needs is for, uh, it's only there to bring the, yeah. the, <laughs> lower class day workers in from the valley yeah. to come in and do all the toilet cleaning. And like yeah. that's, that's where the I, um, it's horrible. I'd spent nine days in New York, which was amazing. And then went to LA for three days and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this holiday has taken a turn for the worse. Like, yeah, I know it was, um, you know, it's just, do you think what, not would, the place, for me. what would, do you see a future where people where car ownership is is less of a priority in public transport? Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I look at Europe. I look at pedestrianized cities. I think like when when people get angry over the tram down George Street, I am just like, you you are the worst. Like pedestrianize all of George Street and stick a tram from Redfern to Circular Quay, even further out. Like it's a no brainer. Oh no, I should be able to park in the middle of the city. No. Just no. Just don't. Um, Mate, I'm I'm the same uh, as far as uh, public transport. Certainly, well not public transport because I'm still afraid of it in Sydney, but certainly cycling. I Melbourne people are like such public transport snobs. Like they're like, "Oh my god, I came to Sydney and I have no idea what I'm doing." And it's like yeah, I get it. I get it, mate. You've got trams and they run a little more efficiently, but it's not that hard to get on a bus. It's really not that hard. Like, you know what I did to get here? Yeah. I was sitting at my desk at work in World Square. I went to Google Maps. I typed your address in and then clicked on a little picture of a train and it told me exactly what to do. And here I am. How much did it cost you? Oh, dude, you type, you ping, you know, the little Opal cards. Yeah. Like a dollar fifty or $2 or something. Wow. It's not that hard. It's like a $27 Uber. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? So it's not that hard. When, so you have taken over the biggest, most high profile radio show in the country. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this year. when I was growing up, well, not growing up because I lived in Perth, but when I was coming up through the industry, yeah, man, it was like. Kyle and Jackie O is yeah. essentially like the closest thing you could get would be Howard Stern and Robin Quivers. Like, yes. That's yeah. essentially where yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. worships Howard Stern. We all do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's, yeah. he invented it. Yeah. He created a different kind of radio we have now. Yeah. Um, he held podcasts, long-form podcast yeah. chat is yeah. is without just – it's stern but without the team. Yeah. You know? Um, so So, yeah, so that was always amid, – Amidst enormous amount of controversy and lots of, you know, issues about what was said on air and what wasn't said on air and, you know, dumping delays and, and you know, getting sued and advertisers pulling out. Yeah. They, in an, I mean, I've got to hand it to the guy. I've known him for a long time. He pulled off the most remarkable move and rebranded an entire FM station across the, across the 
a frequency band. Yeah, man. Um, probably with I'm guessing at a fantastic uh, amount of equity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just basically left um, this network that he'd been working at for 15 years. So a stereo. Yeah. Yeah. Something across the stereo. And there's this now. There's this, they announced it fairly early, and then there's this gaping hole. And were you you were working with Maz at the time? Yeah, we were doing um, sort of late drive time, so yeah. six to eight p.m., which yeah. was a slot that got made up for us, so that I could move from Adelaide to Sydney, That's and it. Maz as well. I, it's, it wasn't just me; it was Maz and I yeah. to get us back to Sydney. They were yeah. like, "We'll invent a time slot for you and put you in there, and just keep you warm until we find a job for you." Keep you warm, right? Yeah. How early? What what did you? What was your reaction on the day? Did you think here it is? Here's my show. So when 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 you um, heard that K and J were leaving, oh, so I can't remember when I found out they were leaving. I remember the final show. I went in and watched the final show in the in the airlock and you know the studio that we're in now. I watched them in there. I never thought like I never put my hand up for that gig. Um, I assumed that because less than 12 months ago I'd been lured over to Osterio that I'd be reasonably safe. Like I wasn't worried going, like, oh, no, what's this going to mean for me? I was just like, well, we'll see what happens. And, um, and in the shuffle and in the chaos, Maz and I ended up in the drive shift. And I was always a massive Hamish and Andy fan. So that to me was I could have done that for a decade. You know what I mean? Um, I've always working in Adelaide though, doing that breakfast show for two years made me realize how amazing breakfast is. And then what happened? I think Sophie Monk announced that she was leaving because she was the part of the replacement show. It came out in the pa- like there's, I cannot tell you for how many months I would read about my job that I made that I apparently had. Next mm. year, it'd be like, Dan and Mers are going to be the breakfast show. And I'd be like, I literally have not seen, I haven't even had a meeting about this, mm. right? Like people write so much stuff. And then Sophie announced she was leaving. And then, um, so it just, it became like, well, they're not going to be doing the show next year. And then it came to us. And. Did they ask you or did they tell you? No, they asked us. Um. And then, yeah, it was a bit of like, do I want to leave Melbourne? That's probably the main concern. Me and my girlfriend had just packed up our whole Sydney life, moved to Melbourne, I'd settled down there. Less than a year. there, less than a year. That was the main concern. So it wasn't so much do I want to do breakfast and it wasn't like I was working, going to be working with a new team either. It was, it was the, the Melbourne team we're going to move across and, and Maz, and, you know. So that wasn't really like, oh. it was just do I want to do breakfast? And I guess having done it in Adelaide made me go, and like you say, it has that, that biggest gig in radio kind of vibe. So I just went, why say no to an opportunity? Mm. Yeah, because that's what it was. And I've always pursued opportunities. And I just thought, man, I will kick myself if I don't do this. So, yeah. A lot of people get frightened by that pursuing opportunity. No, I'm frightened by missing them. I'm frightened by missing an opportunity. Yeah, it's maybe it's a fault, you know, like restlessness or something. But I'm like, nah, all right, yeah, cool. 
lean in. Let's go. <laughs> Got it. Pilot the ship into the storm. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, so. that's 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 and that, it's and it, you know what are. the funniest part is, man. It's big business. Like it's big business. Like you look at how much money Kyle's getting paid. Millions, millions. Just to do radio. What else does he do? He sells coconut water and all sorts of stuff, right? So I'm just like. Never forget, he told me once. He goes, no, mate, I don't spend money. I buy things that make money. Yeah, that, that's a Kyleism. Yeah, <laughs> you probably read that somewhere. But, um, I don't know if he reads. Yeah. No, that's There's only one book in Kyle's house and it's Scandalands. <laughs> and he didn't even write it. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so, but then once you get that gig, I mean. Here you are. You're one of the six people standing at the top of the mountain. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And as you say, you're only as good as your last break. Right? Sure we got, we got given the gig and all the headlines said rookies, Dan and Maz. And I'm like, <laughs> but that was it because I, I would say to Maz, I'm like, well, then the, the six years of broadcasting we've done together is like our prison ship. You know, like no one knows. It's your concealed weapon. So... If there's, I've always said, like, if there's one thing that I can depend upon, it's that it's a good show. Like, if it was, if you know, if we're trying it out for the first time or if we'd never worked together and we're hoping that it worked, I'd be a wreck. But at least I know, like, I, I, the stuff that we've done, you know, going back five years to our late night show that we did at Nova and it's just like, that's good at least. No matter what crazy stuff goes on, what someone dreams up and writes about in a newspaper or, you know, what someone comments on an article or whatever, it's like, at least I know that it's a good show. Hmm. So. so where's radio heading? What, like the industry? Hmm. Um, I don't know because I don't see myself as a radio person. I see myself as a content person. I um I'm a bit of a believer in the fact that no matter what changes in terms of information dissemination or consumption or whatever, there's a place for people to create content. So um and if God, you know, when I start oh seven, eight years in the business, I'd like to think I can I can I'm pretty good at creating content. So or entertainment. Probably is probably a better word. Content just sounds like filler, like what you put in a bean bag, but you know, entertainment that's, you know. So oh, you know, we'll see. I mean, right now I'm on a, a podcast and who knows how many people are gonna listen to this. Like, are you listening now? <laughs> you <laughs> but um yeah, I, I'm I'm not gonna be the guy who says, you know, Nostradamus like this is the future. All I know is that I want to be involved in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, there is that thing of like, you know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld going, hey, we're the last people who get to do this. You know, like we're the last people who are going to sit and make hundreds of millions of dollars on TV royalties. That's never going to happen again. Ever. How good is this? Yeah. You know, so, or, you know, and then sometimes I think like, you know, is Kyle and Jackie O and Hamish and Andy the last radio dynasty? I don't know, but I what I do know is that Dan and Maz is is a great product. So, and tomorrow I <laughs> I get in there again. And it's all on the line again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 
of all the things that uh, program directors and assistant program directors have dragged you out of their office by the earlobe and shouted at you for, what's the one thing that has stuck with you and has made you a better person on air? Um, like advice mm. or like, or what? Like, yeah, well, yeah, do this, don't ever do that again, do this. And you've gone, oh, when yeah, I first, yeah. when, um, so when I was at Nova, there was a bit of a shake up and Paul Jackson came in as the boss of Nova. And so I said to him, right when he arrived, I said, look, just give me, I was, I was going off to Adelaide and he, I just said, I said, what do I do? What do I do? And he, he said, just be yourself. And it sounds like the dumbest advice. But for like the guy who runs the company to say that to you, it's pretty empowering because it's like, you know, he could tell you like, you know, always picture the listener in your mind or smile as you say the time or, you know, who knows what he's going to say. Um, it's basically the boss of a, you know, media broadcast empire saying no one knows it better than you. And um if there's one thing that I like to think that I'm proud of, that what I do is I, you know, I've always embraced my uniqueness. Um, when I first started out, like I listened to some of my early demos and I'm like, why are me and Matt saying mate so much? And it's because we were terrified of basically not being a couple of blokes. And it took a few years and it took some ups and it took some downs and, and you know, um, to get to the stage now where I'm like, and, it, you know, you, you might sometimes you might do something on air and it just it doesn't resonate at all. And then other times you do and you go, wow, that like I remember the first time we filled in for Sydney Breakfast Show and I said something about maybe like Animorphs or Goosebumps or something that I used to read as a kid just as a throwaway thing. And I had mates texting me going, I love the shout out to Animorphs. And I was just like, there's always, you know, there's always people are going to, these things are going to appeal to people. There's people who love that sort of stuff. And, and that was Game of Thrones. When Game of Thrones first started, I would get the shit taken out of me on air. My co-hosts would be like, who cares about your stupid nerd show with your swords? And now, like I credit a lot of my success to the fact that that show came along. And, it, you know, instead of having to be like to persuade people how cool my passions were, it's the number one show. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah, just being yourself is so important. It's such a, it's so trite, but the more you unpack it, the more true it becomes. And you know that stupid quote that was like, be yourself because everyone else is taken, you know? It's like. It's it's a cliche because it's true, which is a cliche, so therefore true. <laughs> when you did do that fill in on summer breakfast, well, I just want to thank you. You sent me vegan cupcakes this yeah. morning. Yeah, that's something else I've always loved to do. Is just very to, nice. to, yeah, I know, but it's because we were at the competing station. I know in the summer breakfast. Yeah, and you sort of go, oh, there's so much like, oh no, don't do, uh, don't do this, don't do that, and then it's like, I don't think there's enough time man. for that anymore, honestly. Oh. I think the yeah. times of radio wars are, are down and gone. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that people are even listening to us, not li listening to, you know, stuff you should know or WTF as they try to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, welcome to Night Vale is probably, um, you know, people are listening to the Mamma Mia show. I hear good things about the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Well, <laughs> great guest this week. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, mate, thank you so much for coming out. On Thanks for your scone. Hey, no worries. On a 
I know. What's the time? I'm, it's time for me to go to bed. Yeah, it's 24. I've been here for 90 minutes, actually. You're probably going to edit it. I've been here for... See ya, honey. Bye, honey. Bye, honey. <laughs> Bye, babe. Thanks for the scone. Bye, ladies. Have a good time. See you later. It's really fun living with those two. It's really nice. Like, I never... I've lived with women before, but never with a woman and her daughter. Yeah, I've we'll never see. had a child in my environs. It's really... A, chi- a chihuahua is as close as I've ever It's gone. really interesting. It's really, you know, you, you have these things that you go through. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've got a... Do you remember how small the world was when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Like, this is, like, or, the world. Or how big everything seemed. Yeah, I guess. I think that's yeah. the other way. It wasn't a small world. It Your like, world is small, but the world Everything, big, yeah. everything had consequences. Yeah, you're like a reality. Away. Everything was a mm. consequence when I was 11 and then I show up mm. and uh, it's been her and her mum. 11, man. Yeah, it's been her Imagine and her mum for a long is... time. And then I roll in with luggage. It's like, oh, hang on a second. What's this about? Who's this guy? Yeah. You're her reality. Yeah. She'll frame me. the rest of her perception of the entire world forever. Don't think I don't take it lightly. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Considering how much therapy I'm in these days, I take it very seriously. Last question. If you could pick up that phone right now and call 18-year-old Dan, what would you tell him? 18? Um, Fresh out of high school. First day off yeah. of high school. All right. Um, well, I would probably say because by then it was like, I would, I, it'd be like, fucking get pumped, get excited. Like, you've made it. You got through. Yeah. You know, now it starts. All of that was just getting there. And you got your little building blocks, you've got little bits, but now it starts. Now you're going to actually see the world as opposed to what you've been going through up until 18, which was just like, yeah, okay, but man. Now it starts. That's what I'd say. Awesome. Thanks, man. I'll let you finish your salad while I set up this photo. That was Dan DeBoof. You can find him on Twitter at D-A-N-D-E-B-U-F. If you like what what you heard here, let him know and definitely follow him while The Bachelor's on in Australia because he's very, 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 very funny. Please do subscribe to the show. I'll appear on your phone every week without fail, uh, just in the podcast app of your choice. You can find me in iTunes and also on SoundCloud. And I'll see you next week for episode 100, my friends. Episode 100. How's that? I've got a doozy for you too. You're going to dig it. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Look after yourself. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.